Welcome to the Prayer Service Podcast as we begin our journey towards flow. Make sure you have your yoga mat, incense, hallucinogenic drugs, and lots of loose-fitting clothing. Now let's begin with a deep breath and repeat after me. Prayer Service Podcast. Per service pod. Okay, if you're anything like me, that might be what comes to mind when you hear people talking about reaching a state of flow. And for musicians, this is that highly sought after state because it's when we are at our peak performance. The time flies by, we are fully immersed in the moment, are the most productive, and usually when we are the happiest. So, how do we get there? Turns out, it's not the same for everyone, but there is a simple quiz to figure out what flow profile you fit into. And we took that quiz ourselves, and today we discuss some of the results as well as some of our experiences with flow. If you are new to the show, your hosts are, if we were Muppets, Michael Giblin, that's me, I'd be Kermit, a cautious decision maker who often breaks out into song for no reason. And also, if I'm not paying attention, I can start to start to sound like him too. Ladies and gentlemen, now the act you've been waiting for... Jessica Wiersma, she'd be Fozzie Bear. A light-hearted and easygoing person can often make a joke even when she's not trying to. Please don't stop! Please don't stop! Anna Luce, she would be Statler and Waldorf, a combination of those two critics in the theater booth highly cultured theater goer with some sharp and witty one-liners. Well, we say all good things come to an end. What's that got to do with this show? <laughs> and Christian Marshall, he'd be Gonzo, the eccentric stunt performer and performance artist, yet also optimistic and intellectual. Thank you! Thank you. And now, I shall demonstrate my amazing powers of hypnosis. All right, I'll have more stuff for you after the show. Oh man, I'm trying to give up my crowd pleaser profile. But Christian, you're going to need to give us a really good lead in into what flow is because I feel like I know what it means at my core. I don't but know. do I know? Do you? Do it's, I? It's different. It's not a okay, so flow. I want to ask you guys think about either your juries during undergrad or a big recital or concerto competition or a big performance. Think about how you practiced, let's say, three months before it compared to three weeks before it. Describe just a little bit about the kind of mental state you were in and even then going to three days before it. So three months out, you know something big's coming up. How do you practice? Hacking through? Woodshedding? I think I'm I'm really not focused. (laughs) I mean, it's weird that it's like I I practice. I'm going through it from... But it's like, ah, I didn't quite get that. Maybe I'll get it tomorrow. You know, and, and it's like, ah, there's that. Ooh, that's really tough. I'm not there yet. Let's keep going. And then I think as I get closer and for me, it's usually sometimes just like the week before. It's like, all right, there is no there is no more time for this to get better. Like it has to get better now. I think sometimes though, a week maybe before the big performance or something, that's when I have a big breakthrough that it's like, okay, it has to be fixed now. And like, there are no more excuses. Like it has to be better now. You guys uh, similar or do you guys practice? Differently? Are you talking about like our current selves or like back in the day selves? I'm talking any, I'm talking about you, ourselves. Doesn't matter when it is. Where like am I? Past, yeah. Where you are. But mostly, I mean, I would say that 
the majority of us aren't having juries anymore or big solo recitals. So it's a, you know, I'm trying to think about that sort mm-hmm. of, you know, when you're getting graded for something or maybe even for you, it might be an audition. Yeah, I would like. say auditions are pretty similar. I do sort of the same same things. Like all of a sudden it's like a week before mm. and it's like, that's a terrible fingering. Like, why have I been doing that? Like, oh, man, literally you're a crunch I, time, crunch yeah. time guy. Yeah, which which is not great to do because then... Uh, in in the audition you often revert back to what you were doing for months and years before that so. yeah i feel like i'm i'm definitely not a procrastinator if i can avoid it when i was younger i would absolutely be like okay i'm three months out practice and i do it because i loved the music and i play with all of my feelings and not fix anything technically really like if i could play through the piece i would do it jess is nodding her head because maybe she did the same thing oh man it's just about playing Yeah. And so then you're like, okay, I would say maybe two or three weeks before I'd be like, "Uh oh, I got to fix some of this stuff. And for me, I was always nervous about memory because I had some really bad. What? (laughs) I touched the dial pad when I meant to touch the screen brightness. That was cool. (laughs) Anyway. 1-800. There's how you can uh, uh, bored yourself out when you feel it's the, the urge at to sign, swear. the number two on the Mac keyboard. The oh. point is, I would get three weeks before the performance or competition or whatever, and I'd be like, "All right, time to fix all this <laughs> stuff." <laughs> just for our parents out there, she's not um, actually swearing. Now, just a cell phone. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Don't worry. But now. I, there's not enough time these days. Well, it's interesting because my life is very much like no work for two weeks and then a lot of work for a couple of weeks. And, you know, in the two weeks that I think I have enough time, I don't usually plan it well enough. So I'm like, I'm going to practice all this stuff. It's going to be great. And now it's more last minute than I would like for it to be if I had lots of time. So it has to be like very focused in the moment with the hour that you have. Christian, is that similar for you or are you, are you way off? No, I, I, for me, it's very similar, but I, I absolutely love two things that Anna said, because that's what I kind of want to talk about today. Flow, this sort of enhanced mental state when you're really focused and the work is going well, you can, you know, people say, um, it's like they lose track of time or they're so immersed in it and everything just begins flowing naturally. It's not a whole lot of work or it doesn't feel like work. A lot of people call it like in the zone. In the zone, in the this zone. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, but what is really cool about it is that Anna just said, uh-oh, three weeks before the recital, uh-oh. And it's this fear factor that is what usually also helps us get in the flow because it's not just Uh this sort of, you know, mental state. You can say, okay, now I want to be really focused. There are a lot of factors that go into it. What a lot of people don't realize is that it's not only about fear, but it's about facing a challenge that is for your skill set a little bit more difficult than you're comfortable with. And somehow that just kicks into your psyche as in like, okay, this is really exciting and I'm going to grow through it. You know, your, your brain, your mind, Mm -hmm. your whole body, it knows like, okay, this is good for me. This is a healthy challenge. I want to overcome this because I'm going to come out better. It's usually like a difficult enough that you could like rise to the occasion and you can do that. I think sometimes when there are like so monumental challenges, a lot of times if it's like too great of a challenge, then it's like uh, anxiety and like, oh, I'll never get there. And you just like, just curl up on a ball on your couch and don't do anything. But I think when it's like 
a manageable challenge, right? Is that exactly? It does have to be manageable. The magic number is four percent. Apparently, there were some studies done that if the challenge you're facing is four percent greater than your current skill set, um, that you're actually able to do it. It's been tested with bodybuilders. You know, people who they say, "Oh, this is my max weight," and then all of a sudden they have to lift something four percent heavier than their max weight. They can do it because this huh. idea of the challenge or the adrenaline kicks in. I think that's really interesting for us musicians as well, especially as as we're freelancers. One reason that we're maybe not happy with our level of productivity is because there's not enough challenge and there's not this time crunch. I would totally agree. I actually just had uh, a little moment of of flow a couple days ago um and it was it was brought on by panic it was this i've was i've been preparing for these auditions and then i knew that after these auditions i had to play uh this beethoven septet in e flat and i kind of opened it and kind of flipped through it and was like oh yeah i can do it i can learn that after the auditions and so so a couple days actually before the auditions i i looked at it, i was like you know i really need to start looking at this sooner and i like listened to the recording and started practicing through the whole thing and had this just absolute panic moment where i was just like this thing is like 45 minutes long and it's basically a violin concerto it there there's i mean literally there's a cadenza for the violin in this beethoven i was like and so I had the whole house to myself and I had like, there were a lot of conditions that were good for me that was like, it was very quiet uh, place. I didn't have any distractions and I just like cranked out like four hours learning this piece. And the thing was like the time flew by so fast. Like literally I looked up and it was like 1am and I was like, how, how did that just happen? But, and it was like this, there was this amazing experience because like I, I learned basically this whole septet. I put in like all the bowings, all the fingerings, all this like massive amount of work. And it was this total like out of body experience. It was like, it just went by so fast. And, um, that doesn't happen very often. And I think it was because of the challenge that I, that it was, but it was also a manageable challenge. But I think there was also something, there was like a risk or like, I knew I would look bad performing this if I didn't do the work. Do you, Anna, do you guys have, have you had other memorable flow experiences like that? That idea of being socially embarrassed or ostracized, you know, from the musical community, if you perform (laughs) poorly is a huge, actually positive motivator. Isn't that what happened to you when you moved to Austria? You were ostracized. I was ostracized. (laughs) Actually, I've never heard that before. So congrats, Michael. Boom. Um, yeah. No, I think it's, you know, again, a bit of scientific research I read recently is that the mm-hmm. brain and body don't know the difference between social fear and physical fear. So your mm-hmm. body processes it the same way if you have to jump off of, you know, uh, the 10 meter diving board or, you know, you have to walk through a building in your underwear it's the exact same feeling, yeah. the same sort of adrenaline that goes through your body. Well, I have a question. Is there a way yes. to like conjure flow? Because I'm recalling a recent memory, which just will <clears throat> also recall because I freaked out. <laughs> but when I had to learn uh, the Terry Riley Quartet and Homunculus by Asa Pekka I don't know why. Like, I guess I had briefly looked at the music and then at the last minute, 
needed to learn it really quickly because rehearsals were starting and the schedule wasn't clear. And I was like motivated by fear and then paralyzed because I seriously felt like I couldn't do it. Like I looked at it and it didn't make sense to me, both of these pieces. And I was completely overwhelmed. So like in that moment, what could I have done to conjure flow better? Or are you just like screwed at that point? (laughs) It's one of those things where it is conjurable, but it's like physical fitness in the way that you can train yourself to lift 200 pounds to bench press or, you know, to do 500 pushups, but like, you're not going to go from five to 500. It's something that you really have to build up. Something that I read recently about it was that you can actually practice getting into it by practicing taking risks. And this is where that, that fear theory comes in of your brain, not knowing what's social or what's physical. So you can actually train your resilience for social situations. Like say, if you get nervous, doing public speaking, you can actually train that by doing physical stunts that are risk-taking and that make you a little bit nervous. Let's say, for example, you don't like jumping from a diving board that makes you nervous. Well, the better you get at that, the better you will get at public speaking because your body is able to handle the adrenaline. Your body's able to kind of fight those feelings. And the stronger you are mentally, the easier it is to slip into this flow state because your brain recognizes the task at hand as a challenge that it wants to overcome. Mm. Just to be like clear, getting into a flow state is really advantageous, right? Because it's like, it's something that you would want to do because the amount of material you can process is just like so much greater than kind of just like our normal way of processing or the normal way of working, right? So flow is typically broken down into eight characteristics. The first being complete concentration on the task. The number two, clarity of goals and reward in mind and immediate feedback. Number three, transformation of time, whether it be speeding up or slowing down. Number four, the experience is intrinsically rewarding, has an end itself. Number five, effortlessness and ease. Number six, there's a balance between challenge and skills. Number seven, actions and awareness are merged, losing self-conscious rumination. And number eight, there is a feeling of control over the task. So that's kind of this, that's kind of, that kind of sums up flow. Like Michael said, this enhanced mental state, we're able to process a lot more and able to get simply more done in a period of time than you would normally. Yeah. Do you guys, do you think you enter flow ever when you're just in orchestra rehearsal? Not really. Yeah, I've experienced it because there's also this theory that flow is also accessible with others, especially if you're the kind of person who loves doing it in a group. It doesn't have to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. Uh, We are having a struggly day here at the Perseverance Podcast. Struggle City. (laughs) I think the the most recent example I have for maybe reaching the state of flow in orchestra it was a couple of months ago I was playing Brahms 4 and the melody was just suddenly so beautiful. And I thought, how lucky am I to get to play this music? And then I realized yeah. like I wanted to be so accurate in my playing that I was that I knew every millisecond where I was in the symphony, what my tone was doing and how I was blending and just being a part of it. And I really it was like. Like I was flying for a bit somehow with the orchestra, you know, just the, it was like the whole third movement all of a sudden was just like, ah, this is it. 
and that, but that doesn't happen often, you know. Right, uh, it's a rare and beautiful experience. I'm having that experience this week, actually, in this um, Dido and Aeneas gig with Mark Morris Dance Group because the orchestra is small, all the singer, the chorus, and the soloists are in the pit, and then the dance happens on stage, and it's like such a unifying feeling, and just everyone is super focused and super into the uh-huh. end product, and that's really unusual, which is sad. But that feels great. You're like, I go in, I do this thing for an hour. I'm completely focused on every note and it's really special. Yeah. I think that's what I have reached sort of that flow state where all of a sudden, like you look up at the clock and you're like, wow, rehearsal's almost over. You're just like, where, what? It was just like, I mean, and those don't happen all the time. A lot of times you're like, oh my gosh, 20 more minutes. How (laughs) on earth are we going to, those happen too. But I think that was also, that was interesting when you were talking about that flow is also sometimes a social or communal process too. And a lot of times, like if you're working with a team and like, hey, the time flies when you're, you know, having fun or whatever, or that sort of like working together. But a lot of the the more memorable ones for me have been when I'm just like by myself and just like these very solitude. And some of that, I don't know if that's maybe also the the introvert part of me that it's like, I enjoy the, the me time and I work best, um, you know, without the distractions, without all these other people. I didn't know if the introvert extrovert thing also plays into it. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the introvert extrovert that plays into it. Well, so the four of us took these flow profile tests. And so I guess I had that question too, because I got, um, pretty majorly extroverted sided one. And I'm, I identify as an ambivert. Ambivert. <laughs> Can't turn yeah. left. Um, what, what was your profile? Um, oh, I got the uh, crowd pleaser. You're the crowd pleaser. Can you read a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I'd love to know. Crowd is- pleaser. Where that? I'm an extrovert. Questionable. I gain energy from people around me. I'm most at home in the thick of things. Hanging out with friends, going to the big game, at concerts, conferences. What in the, like? There's a section here that says flow hacks. You approach the flow state at festivals, conferences, social and political causes, nightlife from social media. Sick, and from managing organizations and team. I don't like social media. <laughs> a little conflicting. Let's see. Here's an Elliot quote that says: "A condition of complete simplicity costs not less than everything." And flow is no different. In fact, Elliot might have been referring to flow when he wrote that. In order to achieve flow, you may need to tone down your social life, go deeper in your training and practices. I can totally see that being me. I li- Because I do think that I have a very all-inclusive picture of what flow looks like. And maybe that's what I'm seeking. The like That's probably what my existence is all about, is like seeking true flow, right? Like That's what we want. And so for mm-hmm. me, that means my home is in order. I know exactly what my schedule is. Sucks that I'm a freelancer because that's not working out so well. <laughs> but have like order in the home, like your meals are planned, your dog is walked, you've practiced everything that you have coming up for the week, you know exactly where you need to be when. And then when you reach the group that you're playing with, all of you guys join and flow together. Mm-hmm. And in social outings, like we all have like mindedness, like, of course, like that's my ideal flow life, which sometimes leads to me making more connections with other humans socially out of a desire for flow, but it doesn't always lend to that. Cause it sounds like ultimately for you reaching flow is sort of the connection with happiness. And like, that's yeah, when you're most totally, cause I think that's what the like godfather of flow 
I'm going to butcher his name is something like Mihai Chiksetmihai Mihai wrote. That's like the title of his book is I think actually there's a there's a TED talk that he gave that's called Flow, the Secret of Happiness. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we all want is like we all, uh-huh. you know. Uh, what about you, Jess? What, what was your profile? Um, I, my profile. <laughs> oh God. Okay. <laughs> my profile is the hard charger. The and hard charger. what does that mean? Some, let me tell you, I'm going to tell okay. you what it means. Some things I, I totally agree. So it says you're a focused go-getter. Mm-hmm. You thrive in intense situations, both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. Run of the mill experiences are a waste of your time. I'm not sure yep. about that. You seek out challenges. You lead a high impact lifestyle. That's that is not true. <laughs> There's no high impact lifestyle over here. Or is there? <laughs> no, I think there is. Yeah. I know you I know you better than you know yourself. Okay. Keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> when you set out to learn a new skill, you look for training from the best and brightest in the field. And I will say that is true because I'm gonna learn something and it's from like some schmuck down the street. Nope. Forget it. I don't yeah. have time for that. If such training is not available, you hunker down and focus until you figured it out yourself. Either way, slow and steady progress is not what you're after. The middle of the pack is not where you belong. But here's where it really, here's where it really gets hits home too. Okay. Cause it already okay. did. So keep going. Yes. <laughs> the same intensity that fuels your drive and focus also feeds a relentless inner critic. Ooh. <sighs> yeah. Sure. That's you, Jess. Yeah. And then Flow there's profile one, just zero. It talks about that for a while. <laughs> Here's where my, my, the flow hacks that I, I don't, this is what I don't agree with. It says I gravitate towards adventure sports. Nope. <laughs> such as skiing, snowboarding, surfing, skydiving, MMA. Nope. I actually actively avoid all those things. because I'm afraid of injuring myself. <laughs> yeah. Is there some sort of like translation though to like the musical, the musical life? Right. Like, do you love the thrill of the audition? Violin. I mean, I feel, yeah, I feel like picking that instrument. Yeah. Too. I feel That's like these true. profiles are probably geared to, to like your average, oh average God, Joe. Just, what? Jess? I just saw a sentence in terms of substance use. You're drawn towards stimulants, intoxicants and euphorians. <laughs> that yeah. is accurate. Not so much the downers. You, you like prefer the uppers. But anyway, it can also lead to reckless behavior with substance abuse, mm-hmm. sex, adrenaline, sports, and other areas. So Be I careful. would say, I would say that some of this is accurate, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it, I feel like I'm a very habitual person as well. And therefore mm-hmm. like I have to be really careful what I do allow myself to do because if I do it too many nights in a row, Sorry. And it can even just be like, sorry guys, it's been, it's been a really bad week. You know, even like I went through a phase where like I could not physically sleep if I didn't drink two cups of peppermint tea before bedtime. And it had to be two. One was not enough. This is the clean version. At least you're aware though. But I feel like you describing that profile about yourself, like the one that I read for me, I was like, I don't know. But I think it is because it's through the lens of like regular Joe's and as musicians, we just can't fit that mold. Yeah. But as far as like general personality, like we could funnel them into the music world. And you reading that, I was like, oh, that's Jess, a hundred percent, all of that. But I think it's also really relevant is that um, something that Csikszentmihalyi talks a lot about is that there are like pharmacological ways to induce the state of flow. And there are the people that like the uppers and some people like the downers that there are, you know, all sorts of musicians that 
are really into, they can't go and perform without taking a bunch of downers or, you know, whether that be beta blockers or weed or. Well, and I think that some of that is when it says the voice of the inner critic is like the strongest thing. Sometimes you don't know how to turn that off without the aid of what you were just talking about. We're not uh, advocating for like illegal uh, substances, but, but there are natural, very legal, you know, caffeine or alcohol, whatever that can aid or be detriments to, you know, your optimal peak performance. I have a question also. I have a no dose story. Some point. We've got all those stories coming up after a quick word from our sponsor. We are very appreciative of Fix Music Publishing for covering the cost of hosting this podcast. If you need to order some sheet music, stop searching Google or Amazon or Sheet Music Plus and take a look at fixmusic.com. It's by far the cleanest, simplest, and painless option for finding high-quality sheet music at really affordable prices. They currently are stocking violin, piano, and chamber music selections. But if you play another instrument and you're looking for something you can't find, just ask, and most likely, they'll be able to get it to you. You can get 10% off your order by using the promo code PERSERVICE at checkout. Again, that's F-I-C-K-S music. Dot com. <laughs> well, I mean, for instance, while we're talking about the pharmacological, sorry, is that even the right word? I don't know. Way of entering flow is I had a very, I don't know, I guess it's a cautionary tale of uh, both like my brother and sister took Adderall for a long time. And I remember there was a certain night where I had, uh, you know, I, I took one of those. I wasn't on a prescription. I'm not, uh, probably shouldn't have been doing this. I do what I say, not what I do here. Okay. Um, but I had all this music, I was, it was like a week before I was supposed to go to this music festival, you know, it was like in the middle of summer and I was supposed to, I was studying with my teacher and I was supposed to know all this music before getting to the festival and I didn't know any of it. And so there was one night again, I had like the whole basement to myself and I took one of these Adderalls and I just had this like absolute power through moment where, you know, it was like, five hours straight, like basically no breaks at all. And it just flew by. I learned all this repertoire. That's one of the strongest memories I have of being like in the zone. But, you know, I woke up and my heart was just like still racing and it just felt like super crazy, not crazy, but like crazed. It was that like, oh my gosh. Um, And at first it seemed like, oh, this is a like it's a super drug. Well, I'll just take it all the time. And I think I tried it <laughs> another time and, and I didn't have, I think all those conditions before, like I didn't have the challenge of, I didn't have the risk of, I was going to show up at the music camp a week before because I tried it again and it was like, this is dumb. I don't want to practice. I just want to go hang out with all my friends or whatever. And like it did nothing. Also, I would caution people against Adderall as, you know, uh, my brother got into a really serious, uh, you know, situation uh, with his mental health because he was like overprescribed with his Adderall and he was taking more than his prescription to. And so it was it's a uh, it's not something to really dabble in, especially without, you know, getting your own prescription. So I don't know. Did, did anybody else have any stories of being when I was a senior in high school, I started having these kind of weird situation, like all the time where I would just be like sitting in class and all of a sudden my heart rate would be like through the roof. I was having like all these really weird heart problems. I was going to the doctor. We were doing all the tests and they had no idea what was going on. And so their solution was to prescribe me this medication 
It is essentially like the strongest of the beta blockers. Okay. It is prescribed to people who have already had heart attacks or like severe heart disease of which I don't have either, but I'm taking this like super strong beta blocker. You know, it's a stressful time. I was doing auditions. I'm in high school trying to do all the senior paper crap, you know, you gotta do. And I just remember I'd be at my auditions and like, everyone is like totally stressed out, freaking out. And I'm just like, Hey man, what's that? Cool cool as a cucumber. As a cucumber. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like walk in and they'd be like, so what have you prepared for us? And I'm like, well, I got this, 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 and this. And you know, they like tell you what to, they, they give you yeah. very direct guidelines about what to prepare. So it's not like I was like, well, I prepared everything in the world, but they'd be like, well, what would you like to start with? I'd be like, whatever you guys want me to. I'm like, <laughs> like, I just like nothing phased me. Pick a Capri, Cine Capri. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you want? I know all 24. And, um, <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of the opposite. And it's really interesting now that I think about it because like there was, there was no inner critic going on at that time. It was just like, man, I'm playing this concerto and I play it really well and I'm going to play it for these people and I'm going to enjoy it. And now it's, that's not the Fast situation. Forward to now and the inner critic is raring. Yeah. But the other, <laughs> the other side of that is because I shouldn't have been on that medication in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I now have physical mm-hmm. side effects from that. Good times. And it's like, how old am I now? Like, you know, it's a long time after. And there are things that I now deal with mm-hmm. that I probably wouldn't if I hadn't been on that in the first place. However, mentally, man, it's like, great. Cause like talk again? about shutting up your inner critic when you're, when your heartbeat, when you're like resting heart rate is like three beats a minute. You're just <laughs> like, you're feeling good. When you're in auditions, do you feel, do you feel like you ever reached that flow state or is it like, are there elements of, uh, no, actually, that's why I think it's really interesting because I also in college had some very successful situations with some competitions and some of it is because like, I feel like the stakes have changed, like the outcome of these things now mean different things. But now in auditions, I definitely don't think I have reached a state of flow in an audition situation recently. My big thing is my brain is overactive in those situations. Even if I have controlled the physical, you know, so like the shaky bow type thing, that's not really a a thing for me. It's the mental part. So I feel like now it's kind of turned more into head games than anything else. Like, are we talking in the actual moment of playing in the audition? Yeah. In the actual moment of playing in the audition. Your brain's going bazonkers. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. It is like hyper aware of everything. It is like, oh my gosh, why is your second finger so weirdly shaped? And how have you not noticed oh, that yeah, before? Absolutely. And like, yeah. you know, like I wish I could recall last week when I had an audition, what happened in my mind in the beginning of the Tchaikovsky, because I found myself thinking about something completely unrelated. Oh yeah, I do. I have done that, but it, and I've worked on doing that. And now I, ha- but I also have audition blackouts. I get that. Too. I, right. You do. Them. Cause when she auditioned this last week, I was like, well, how about this thing or this thing? She's like, honestly, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I honestly <laughs> think it's part of being so overly aware of everything. I was just looking into this author yesterday that I need to read the book of that. I think Jess and I are both going to read Bessel van der Kolk who wrote body keeps the score. Um, and I listened to a podcast with him in it and he was talking about traumatic events. And of course he's talking like heavy, you know, physical, mental abuse, but 
but I do think to a degree we have to give auditions mm-hmm. some respect for the trauma that no, I <laughs> that they put into our lives. And I do think that the blackout audition thing is part, it's got to be part of the traumatic mm-hmm. portion of the brain that will not allow you to remember the event. You know, you, you can't put it together. You cannot create a story. This is with like it. the opposite mm-hmm. of flow. This is like I think yeah, I think it's a pr- preservation mechanism that your brain's like this was a really um, odd and unnatural experience and we cannot remember it. I'm really tempted to disagree there. I, I wonder if we can train that. I wonder if it's actually not, um, not that you're overwhelmed with too much input, but that the, the ability to maybe organize it or kind of make sense of it or file it is just Mm -hmm. not as finely tuned as it needs to be. If I have one beef with flow, it's that I feel like I'm not naturally or I'm not like predisposed to accessing it easily because I don't like, you know, it's about focusing and focusing is really difficult for me. But I find that if I really train my focus for little things, you know, for one minute to three minutes doing something very specific, that's much easier and I can slowly increase that and then be doing things for several hours and still stay focused. And I wonder if it's that sort of thing that we also need to train in auditions. We need to create a simulated experience where we're training ourselves to really focus and remember. Right. I, I've actually worked on that um, because I was thinking, you know, when I practice, like I don't have these thoughts necessarily like this, right. the same type of thoughts. Like I'm thinking, but I'm not necessarily like, since when is your second finger weird looking, you know, like it's not like that. So I've actually tried to be thinking about absolutely everything. But yeah. at the same time, I do think there's a point where you have to also just let your muscle memory take over and actually overthinking is weight is detrimental. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think there are two ways to look at it. It's like, you know, you can be specific. If I give you a random task, like, okay, write a poem. Yes, that's a specific task, but it's also very general. And you're like, oh, where do I start? Like, I don't know how to focus. Okay. But if I say, write me a haiku about what you ate for lunch, then you say, okay, it's confined. I can definitely focus on it. And that's so much easier because it's not, it's not too much information, but it's just enough to give you this framework that you can dive into. It's a little bit challenging. Okay, haiku, got to figure out the syllables, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And then you go for it. And I think it's that finding that balance, exactly that. And just like it said, one of the, you know, the, the crossroads between challenge and your current skill set, like really finding that and trying to stay in that zone, because that's where you're most easily going to slip into it. Hmm. So what about you, Christian? What was your profile? I'm the deep thinker. Ooh. Same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It says about me, I experience flow as a solitary journey. And that is very true. When every time I'm writing or I have a big project, I realize I love writing at night. I start around 8 p.m. and write usually till about two in the morning or so because no phone calls, no emails. The street outside is quiet. You know, I just have my reading lamp and this one other lamp on. And it's there's something about that atmosphere that for me says, okay, it's my time. I'm not going to be interrupted. Yeah, I think the distractions are just a huge killer of uh, activity and flow. I think it says I I tend to enter the flow state by way of creative, reflective, even soothingly repetitive work. My mind wanders, my nervous system relaxes deeply and I channel inspiration without inhibition. Um, And then, of course, going along with Anna's ambivert 
personality. I think it's a little bit of that here. It says I'm able to tolerate and even thrive in the daily hustle and bustle, but a part of me craves stillness. I crave time to return to my sanctuary for rejuvenation. And I definitely think that's true, especially with wanting to, even in during undergrad, I like to practice a lot at night. There was something about that. It was just like my time. Yeah, I'm all about that too. Yeah. What I also love, and I know this for me is definitely true, how you engage with flow ranges widely and defies easy categorization. You may pursue classical arts such as painting, pottery, or music. You may be drawn to more contemporary forms of expression like digital photography, gaming, coding. You're a maker. You might sink gentle communion with nature. You might prefer hiking, gardening, bird watching, or working with animals to more high-speed pursuits. Uh, remind yourself that writing poetry, for instance, is a perfectly worthwhile endeavor, even if you never seek publication. It's okay to sculpt or to ride horses, even if you never win anything from doing so. And I definitely think that's the case for me. I realize I have a lot of hobbies and things that I pour myself into, and they're just for fun. But the energy I get from that is undeniable. I mean, I come back and I'm ready to work. I'm ready to focus because I feel like I've really... Yeah, found a way to balance myself. I think especially when we're artists and so much of the work we do is in our heads and in our hearts, we need another way to kind of get out of that and recharge, rejuvenate ourselves, you know, so we can do the focus work. But I think that's a little different though, being a professional and just doing it as a hobby. Like, I don't know, do you think you get the same level of flow when there's not that um, risk of failing? Um. I'm not saying that I get flow in those in those hobbies, but that that they balance me out so that when I come back to my work, I'm able to focus on it. I'm less willing to let myself get yeah. distracted. No, I, and I'm totally with you too because I think there are things, even music, like that there are things that are worth doing even if they don't lead to anything, even if they don't lead to money or or to fame or success or whatever. There are some things that bring you joy and bring you fulfillment that are worth doing even if they don't make sense to anybody else. I just, yeah, I, but I heard a really interesting quote the other day. This is probably not related, but I feel like somehow it is, you know, what, what is a professional musician? And would, I mean, would you call Mozart a professional musician? Of course. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, he, he did, thing. he had commissioned works mm-hmm. and yeah, he, but it and is he weird. earned his money, but think it's about weird. it. Call, call, call any, yeah. Hillary Hahn, she's a professional musician or, um, John Cage or Samuel Barber or, you know, Tchaikovsky. It's like, if you really, if you really sit with it. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and it's how, how disregarding or disregardful, what's the word um, of a remark can that be towards those people? Like calling someone a professional musician is basically just a way to call them mediocre. If you compare it to those great people. Right. So you're saying it's almost disrespectful to call them a professional musician. Yeah. Because of how great they are. It's like, and I feel like sometimes our, our desire to call ourselves professional musicians is this need to to prove to ourselves that we've made it. When in reality, we probably don't want to accept the fact that we're mediocre. Ooh. (laughs) Really? Because I'm sorry, but I'm not like any of those musicians I've named. Well, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not either. Yeah, no, it's like, it's hilarious to just like imagine Mozart, you know, working at nights at the, at the tavern or something being like, oh, I got to pay the bills to support my composing habit. You're like, oh, Mozart, you're not a professional musician unless, unless you only compose music and don't make any money <laughs> serving drinks. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah, it's... That was a real shutdown. <laughs> but I think it's because we're all thinking about it. So I, I think taking this this survey uh, quiz, I guess you might call it, about figuring out what kind of flow profile you the have. Flow, the flow profile that you have is really helpful because you can gain awareness about what kind of person you are. And it's, it does seem similar to like the personality Myers-Briggs or Enneagram test. I think the survey is great for telling you kind of some specific and actionable ways. And for me, it was, yeah, dead on that like distractions are a major interruption for flow. Really like having a smartphone is one of the worst culprits for interruptions. And also like, it's a lot harder for me now, uh, being being married, having a kid, there are just like so many interruptions during the day. Like I don't have these long days that I used to have of just like, oh, I've got nothing to do all day. I can just like, you know, I don't I don't have these like in the zone moments that, that I used to. And some of that is, is just it's a slog to get stuff done and be an adult. <laughs> but being aware that there are some very specific ways that can help you in figuring out when you work best and things that, you know, recharge you. So I think, uh, I'll have the link for that in the show notes page. I would encourage you to check it out and take the quiz. It just takes like two minutes. It's maybe, maybe 10 questions, um, 10 or 15 questions and, um, really insightful. So any other closing thoughts? I have a lot to think about personally. We might have to circle back around yeah. to this one next time or the next, yeah, for sure. next, next, next time. <laughs> Regarding distractions, I, my wife thinks this is hilarious that I, you know, need help um, keeping myself off the computer or from my phone or whatever. She's like, you know, just do it. Like, isn't your will strong enough? And I say, no, that's why I need this help. So I bought a subscription to the website called Freedom. I think it's freedom.to. Basically what it does is it's a software you download on a computer and then you can select from any of your devices which websites you want to block or everything for a certain amount of time. And even turning off your computer and rebooting it, you can't circumnavigate it. So nice. quite often I'll even just set it ahead of time. I'll say, okay, so tomorrow when I wake up, internet will already be turned off. I can't get to it until, you know, three in the afternoon. So it's a way for me to just, you know, be at my computer only to write, or you can also select only Gmail. I do that when I'm writing, I can only access my email and two mm-hmm. dictionaries and a translator. <laughs> so you know, to keep yourself focused. And then for my phone, yeah, for the phone, I bought the app called Flipped Off or no, maybe it's just called Flipped, F-L-P-D, I believe. And it does the exact same thing. You select the amount of time and you can pick three apps Mm -hmm. you're allowed to access and then you can turn it off for a maximum of 60 seconds during your time that you're supposed to be like blocked. So if if you pick four hours, in these four hours, you have a 60 second window of time to make like one phone call or to send a couple messages. And it's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Because once I do it, I realize yeah. like, okay, well now I, I don't need to look at my phone cause I can't call back anyway. It sounds a lot like a lot of people are big fans of the Pomodoro timer where you just set a timer for like 20, 25 minutes. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to work in this chunk. I'm going to work exactly for 25 minutes, whatever. I'm just going to answer emails or something in these 25 minutes. And then when that's over done something else, or I'm just going to practice my scales for 25 minutes. And then you said another one and sort of like the idea of chunking time, I think is sort of, we were talking about way at the beginning of this conversation about building small habits to promote 
uh, focus and resiliency. Same idea. Yeah. And I think another thing to do is don't forget that you can trick yourself, you know, call, call these little things an experiment say, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to do this one sort of thing. You know, you don't have to commit right away or you can say, I want to increase my practice time by Mm -hmm. 1% every day. It's, it's really not that much. And if you realize, Hey, 1%, well at the end of the week or the end of the month, I'll be practicing 25% more than I do now, which is already a lot. And you can gradually increase that your body and your brain and your mind also your resilience and your ability to focus they all grow with it all right well i've got all the links to the survey and stuff we mentioned in the show notes page i think there's only one thing left to do i'm michael giblin i'm anna Liz. i'm jessica weersma and i'm christian marshall Well, that is our show, folks. As you were listening, which flow profile do you think you are? Are you the deep thinker like Christian and me? The hard charger like Jess or the crowd pleaser like Anna? The last one we didn't get to because none of us fell into that category is the flow goer. If you want to take the quiz and find out which one you are, visit our show notes page, which is perservice.co slash 25, like the numbers, which is where you'll find the quiz to the flow genome project and all the other links that we talked about and the tools that Christian mentioned as well. We greatly appreciate the support from Siri Bloom, Kathleen Lavengood, Anne Brueggemann, and Sarah Lee for supporting our work on Patreon. Thank you, ladies. Those shoes you're wearing right now are fabulous. And if you would like to join the community of supporters, head on over to perservice.co slash patron, or just search for our show on patreon.com. With your help, we can improve the quality of our show and make it more often. Now I leave you with this final quote by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote, the best moments in our lives are not the passive, receptive, and relaxing times. The best moments usually occur when a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. Hmm, awesome. Well, we'll see you again in two weeks. Until then, be well and practice well. Flow. (laughs) This was the worst episode ever. Oh, it wasn't. It just took us a while to get going. Anyway, sorry.